Nobody was protecting us from being taken advantage of. Nobody was even concerned whether or not we were being sexually abused. I was not protected, and neither were my teammates. That was gymnastics Olympian and native of DeWitt, Jordan Weber, testifying last week about the physical abuse she suffered. Last week, about 100 young women and girls testified about the horrifying uh, circumstances of the abuse they suffered at the hands of Dr. Larry Nasser. Nasser is in the sentencing phase of his trial. He faces up to 40 years in prison. He's already serving 60 years for distributing child pornography. The courtroom has been an emotionally charged scene as more and more women come forward wanting to testify against Nasser, who has been in the courtroom to be confronted by survivor after survivor. 144 women in total gave or will give their statements in court. That puts this phase of the trial well into this week before Nasser will receive his sentence from Judge Rosemary Aquilina. Michigan Radio reporter Kate Wells has been in the courtroom through the trial and sentencing. She spoke with WDET's Laura Weber Davis about the courtroom scene. I don't think anybody in this courtroom, from the judge to the prosecutor to the defense attorneys, has ever seen anything like this. Uh, it's, it's really hard to describe how intensely emotional it is to see, at this point, almost 100 women and girls get up there and face the man who abused them as children, some of whom you know, loved him dearly as recently as a year or two ago, others of whom have, in one woman's words, been coming for him for a long time and been fighting to be believed. For some of them that, you know, for 20 years, no one has believed them. So they stand up there with their families, you know, their dads, their husbands, their sisters, and you see them as an entire family. And they speak often as a family. The moms or the dads will make statements about what it has been like to watch their little girl go through hell or what it has been like to watch their wife fall seriously ill or struggle with suicide attempts. It's, it, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. So you've also seen, obviously, the reaction from um, Judge Aquilina and Larry Nasser um, and their individual roles as well as these victims. Last week, Larry Nasser sent this letter over to Judge Aquilina saying that he was feeling under um, he was he was under duress because he couldn't really take the pressure of hearing the testimony and Judge Aquilina was not very happy not with, having with it. that letter. Um, so tell me, I mean, obviously from any perspective, any human being is going to feel like that's an incredibly stressful situation, but there's not a lot of sympathy that goes for somebody who put hundreds of people in this stressful situation as well. No, there is zero sympathy for Larry Nasser in this. He says that he wrote that six-page single-space letter before this had actually started, where he was saying, look, I don't know if I can physically and mentally handle 
sitting here and listening to four days of this and now of course we're going on I think day five at this point he says that he wrote that letter as a cry for mental health treatment the judge made sure to check in with him that he had in fact been receiving treatment services from community mental health in fact some of the scheduling of the days because it runs around wrapping up in time so that Nasser can get back to jail and see community mental health before they leave uh, Nasser also wrote about being worried about his physical health. He says he collapsed at previous points during federal sentencing. And the it, it was one of the more surreal moments of these hearings because he did say that this was hard on him. And the judge, I think, spoke for everybody in that courtroom, certainly the victims, when she said, look, if this is hard for you, that's just too bad. What has been his disposition as these women come up one after the other um, with their emotional stories? It's really evolved. The first day, he was closing his eyes or putting his head down in his hands, literally blocking his sight of these women and girls and their support people who'd come up and speak. But on Friday, we saw him really break down for the first time during some incredibly powerful statements from a woman who said that she knew Nasser for 30 years, that she, you know, went back to a time when she was eight years old and he still wasn't even fully a doctor. He hadn't even gotten his license yet and was really, as she says, part of the original crew. And she talked about loving him for so long and defending him, she says, long after she should have and coming to terms with the fact that she had been abused hundreds of times by Nasser, and Nasser broke down and wept in a way we have not seen up until that point. What was the reaction among the other survivors seeing him um, have that emotional response? Was it a triggering effect or did it have an effect on everybody there? Well, I think at this point, after four days of some of the hardest stories you'll ever hear, people are really focused on the survivors and the strength of their stories. So it didn't, it didn't, as far as I could tell, have a triggering effect on the women and girls who have been listening to these statements for so long now. Really, the attention was focused on this woman and her story, and her heart was clearly breaking as she was talking. So there was, there was a lot of strength and power in what she was saying, and I think it, it you know, made the moment all the more powerful that, that Nasser finally seemed to break down himself. Kate Wells is with us right now. She's a reporter with Michigan Radio, and she's been sitting in um, watching the proceedings of the Larry Nasser trial in Lansing. Uh, Kate, we also saw Jordan Weber and Allie Raceman from the Olympic team um, finally come out uh, publicly. And they've, they've made, well, Jordan Weber hadn't made any statements before. Right. We've seen these written statements from some of the other Olympians, but now we see them testifying in court what was was there power behind that in the courtroom as there seemed to be, you know, from the outsider's perspective, like my perspective? Yes, I would say definitely there was. I think that for many women, watching other people be able to come publicly forward has been a powerful 
motivator in allowing them to tell their stories. Having it come from Olympians was, you know, all the more validating and made it more powerful. It was interesting to watch some of the really young gymnasts. You know, there are still people here who are 16, 17, 18, come up and introduce themselves to Ali Raceman and you could tell that this meant something to them, that, that she was here, that she had taken the time, that they, they made the time to come out here and give these statements. What is the age range of these survivors that you've seen? So it's a, it's a wide range. I mean, we're talking about 20, 30 years here in some cases. So uh, some girls are still in high school. Some girls are, some, I'm sorry, some women are mothers with children of their own. It's, it's, uh, this, has been, this has been decades in the making. A long career of damage, essentially. Yes, yes. So I also want to ask you about Luana K. Simon, the president of Michigan State, showing up the other day, sort of surprisingly, because she had said previously she didn't think she was going to go. Um, So tell me about what that did in the courtroom. It was obviously quite a kerfuffle uh, among uh, reports. Media, yes. Um, (laughs) Did that have any effect on the survivors or the parents of the survivors? I think these parents and these survivors have been incredibly disappointed and frustrated with President Simon's reaction, and coming to the courtroom for one afternoon did nothing to alleviate that. Several women have mentioned in their statements, or to me, that they have asked President Simon, as a personal favor to them, to come watch their statements, come watch them speak to Larry Nasser and talk about making these reports to MSU. One woman says that President Simon told her it didn't fit her schedule and that she would try and watch it on the live stream. There is, from the frustration towards MSU has grown exponentially over the last week, both for people watching this story, but also for the women and girls who are sitting here in this courtroom, feeling like they are saying some of the most important, powerful statements they can, and they still feel like MSU is not listening. There is, There are women who were victimized while they were uh, with just the U.S a gymnastics organization at large, and then women who were victimized while they were with Michigan State. They're like these two separate groups. Um, Is there mutual ire, like crossover between those? I would imagine are the USA gymnasts and survivors mad at MSU and vice versa with the MSU? Yeah. Yes, I think they have seen the reports that have come out, these timelines of missed reports, missed opportunities, adults in both organizations either disbelieving or looking the other way. And many of them feel like there are so many instances with either USAG or Michigan State University where this could have been stopped and where they personally did not need to be here. The abuse could have been stopped so long ago and wasn't. So many of them, whether they you know knew Dr. Nasser from Michigan State or whether they knew him from USAG, mention both organizations during their statements as uh, institutions they feel enabled Nasser. Kate Wells is joining us right now. She's a reporter with Michigan Radio, and she's been following the Larry Nasser story from the beginning and also been sitting in on the courtroom during the sentencing phase. Uh, Kate, before I let you go, I really want to ask you about how this strikes you as a journalist, having um, covered this now for many months. And we're supposed to separate ourselves from the stories, but this is such a highly emotional, highly unusual story 
How do you sort of keep an emotional distance but still cover this incredibly emotional story? I don't think you do, honestly. I, th- I think that's pretty impossible. And I think that that's okay. Your job right now in this is to give these women and girls room and a, and a platform to speak. And you just worry about that. That's That's your job. And it has been incredible to be able to sit there and listen to these women and girls. You can't listen to them and not be in awe of them. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was WDET's Laura Weber Davis talking with uh, Kate Wells of Michigan Radio about the ongoing Larry Nasser sentencing. We're going to continue our conversation about Dr. Larry Nasser's trial and how Michigan State's handling of it is coming under scrutiny next. Stay with us on Detroit today. <laughs> Perhaps you have figured it out by now, but little girls don't stay little forever. They grow into strong women that return to destroy your world. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was abuse survivor Kyle Stevens. She was speaking at Dr. Larry Nasser's sentencing hearing last week. Stevens is the only victim of Nasser's to come forward who was not being treated by him in a medical capacity. Joining us now to talk more about what is going on at Michigan State University and with this trial, the sentencing phase of this trial for Dr. Larry Nasser is Jessica O'Byrne. She is the host of the Gymcastic, a podcast that's devoted to issues and culture of the gymnastics world. Jessica, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, let's let's uh, let's start with your overall reaction to hearing all of this testimony. I have I have thought uh, the entire time that the emotions involved here on all of the sides that are involved are just so powerful. Um, uh, what was your what was your takeaway from it? Overall, it's been honestly incredible having, you know, covered this like you guys have for so long to hear these women be validated, to hear so many come forward, to hear um, that, you know, people that thought they didn't want to speak publicly, ask to be heard and speak uh, directly in court. Um, it's been, it's been you know, awful to listen to, um, but it has also been amazing to hear the anger, but also the triumph in these women and girls' voices um, at really being validated and being heard. Yeah. Um, when when you hear uh, when you hear the, the the testimony here of these of these women, when you hear uh, the things that are that are being said, you know, for me, the, the the immediate reference that comes up is the Penn State scandal. And I think that the last time we had you on the show, you and I talked about the comparisons here. At, at that point, this story was not getting as much attention uh, as, as the Penn State, sta- Penn State scandal did. It seems now to be uh, picking up some steam in terms of coverage in the national media, but I, but I wonder about your comparisons between these two again. Uh, is, is there something about this 
scandal that doesn't resonate with people the same way that did. You know, it's absolutely comparable to Penn State. It's actually worse, and I hate to say worse because any abuse is horrific, but in terms of numbers and in terms of how many people knew um, for years and years and years, everything is worse exponentially than Penn State. Um, And I think that what I said from the very beginning is I feel like the reason that people aren't paying as much attention to this is because the victims are women and because the majority of the victims are um, gymnasts. And again, this spans all sports, dance, soccer, track, softball, volleyball. But I honestly think it's because it's women. And um, you, you see that it also has to do with the status of the sport or the people who are victims. When you look at what happened when Jordan Weaver, um, when Gabby Douglas, when Allie Raisman spoke, these are the stars of the sport. All of a sudden, it's a full-page bleed um, you know, in the, the New York Times. And it makes a difference when it's a star that comes forward. Yes. And I think that it's really a shame that it's taken that when there's so many more, more victims than there were at Penn State. Yeah. Um, talk a little about the culture and high-level gymnastics uh, and and how they might have helped to protect Larry Nasser for as long as as they did. I think there is there there are sort of two dynamics at work here. One is about the university and the way it operates, but the other is about uh, gymnastics itself, the sport, the culture around it, and and how these issues are are seen and dealt with uh, in that context. I mean, I think the thing about um, the way the elite level of the sport works, um, and again, you see this bleeds down into when people are talking about what gymnastics was like at Twistar is where Nasser operated for years. Mm-hmm. Um, the gymnasts were really taught to be soldiers. They were not talk, taught to speak up, to um, be people who express their own personal opinions. They're taught to fall in line. Um, and I think that one of the things about the system is it's really a system of intimidation. And if you do something that, um, especially under Marta Crowley, the way the elite system worked, and if you did something that, um, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't an environment where someone felt comfortable, where they could talk to Marta ever, or anyone really on the USAG staff mm-hmm. uh, when Master was there and say, I feel uncomfortable about this. It really took a staff change um, for something like that to happen. Yeah. Um, what do you think should be the, the, the fallout? And then maybe this is a tough question to answer, but what do you think the fallout should be at Michigan State uh, with regard to this uh, the, this scandal? At Penn State, everybody's head rolled. Joe Paterno, the president of the university, I mean, there was a lot of fallout from that. We've seen some real resistance at MSU to taking the consequences higher than where they where they have been. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your reaction to that. I I can I still am shocked. I am shocked that no one has been fired at MSU. No one's even been fired at uh, USA Gymnastics mm-hmm. except for NASA. Um, and that to me is unbelievable when we compare this to Penn State. I mean, three people went to jail at Penn State. I'm mm-hmm. still waiting for criminal charges to be filed against one of these two organizations. There's a report that 14 people knew at Michigan State. I mean, we know that people were notified back in the 90s at uh, Michigan State, direct employees. Um, absolutely, 
people should a be fired, not allowed to retire. Um, that's the first thing that needs to happen in both organizations. Um, but especially in MSU, um, we need to see that happen. And I would expect criminal charges um, against people who fail to report. And also, like, I just, I'm shocked with the lack of outrage, just surely for the cost this is going to be. I and mean, this cost, what, Penn State, like, in the 200 millions after all was said and done? Mm-hmm. And the taxpayers and students at MSU should be furious their money is going to go to this. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm also curious, uh, as as host of uh, the Jim Castic podcast, what you are hearing from people in the gymnastics world about this. Is it is it playing out differently, more emotionally, uh, with maybe more anger uh, in the gymnastics world than it is uh, more broadly, or is it sort of does it look like a parallel? Um, there is definitely a lot and has for longer been much more outrage in the gymnastics community. I mean, so many people were groomed by Nasser and believed him and thought he was really good a guy. So many people defended him in the beginning. Um, and it really wasn't until the FBI raided his house and filed the child pornography that people really started to turn on him. Um, so there has been outrage, I think, for longer. Um, but I think that uh, it's, it's something that has also um, validated people's feelings about how the gymnastics culture is at fault for allowing this to happen. What were what people are really being trained, like the kind of women we're really training in gymnastics, and we're really training little soldiers, and we want to train people who turn out to be champions, like Allie Raisman, who really speak up for what's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, my last question for you is about. Uh, what you think will turn this uh, toward the, the 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 scale of a Penn State, for instance, and and where we would start to see the same kind of consequences meet out? What 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 are we missing? I guess at this point. I mean, I think what we're missing is sort of. Um, I know that in, in Michigan, there's a lot of people running for office who are you know using this as part of their platform, uh, which rightly they should. And I think that people need to understand that this happened everywhere all over the country um, and that this, I mean, I just feel like people, every parent, this should be terrifying them that this happened. It's not a stranger danger thing. Um, And this happened all over the country. It wasn't just Michigan uh, kids that this happened to. Um, And I think that people continuing to share this story understand that this is someone that everyone trusted, like a family friend he was to people. Yeah. Um, should really be pushing this to that level. And also the Olympics are coming up, so maybe if the USOC finally uh, takes some responsibility for their part in this and certifying NASA to be a doctor for USA Gymnastics, that will also push it over the edge. Yeah. Okay, Jessica O'Byrne, host of the Gymcastic podcast that's devoted to issues and culture of the gymnastics world. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It's going to do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service at Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.